I am going to build a billion dollar company, a billion dollar brand because of the loving and supportive and nurturing environment that I'm creating. This is Stay Paid, the marketing podcast that gives listeners a competitive edge to stay motivated, find inspiration, and discover proven real-world tactics from some of the best marketers across the nation. This podcast is brought to you by Reminder Media, the company that keeps the lights on in our studio, including our Take Action sign behind us. Luke and I have worked together over the last 20 years to help small business owners stay top of mind with a mission to help them generate more repeat and referral business. We help business owners with everything from lead generation, print marketing, social media content, geographic farming, and more. We've had the opportunity to help over 100,000 entrepreneurs over the last 20 years. It's really been amazing. If you'd like to see how we can help you and your business, be sure to check out ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidMarketing. That's ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidMarketing. Take action on that today. Welcome to Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Stike along with Luke Acri, and our guest today is returning to Stay Paid for the first time in a little over two years. Mike McFall is the co-founder and co-CEO of Big B Coffee, one of the fastest growing coffee franchises in the United States. The last time Mike was here, we talked about his book, Grind, a no BS approach to take your business from concept to cash flow. And today, Mike's here to talk about his new book, Grow, Take Your Business from Chaos to Calm, which is the second in a planned out three book series offering practical advice for entrepreneurs looking to turn their business concepts into successful ventures. Mike, welcome back to Stay Paid. Thanks, guys. This is great. Mike, man, excited to have you on the show. We were just talking before we came on. I'm excited about picking your brain when it comes to leadership. You have grown a really successful business. So I'm, I'm curious the advice you're giving entrepreneurs, but let's dive right in. Let's start with why did you write the second book? What are you trying to get across? Well, I, the second book focuses in, well, the, just r- real quick. The first book is from the day you commit to a new venture to your first day of positive cash flow and the ethos and mentality it takes to do that. The second book picks up at the moment when you're in this bootstrapping entrepreneurial phase. Uh, you know, you are, you're in it deep. Uh, you're, you know, you're, you're handling everything. And, and what we really want to do is we want to, through the book is we want to work with people to take them on this journey. And the journey is from bootstrapping entrepreneur to effective leader in the organization. But then ultimately we are, we're talking about sustainability of the business. And then that takes the entrepreneur from the effective leader through to what I'm calling irrelevance, Mm. which means, which means that you as the entrepreneur can get, truck by a bus and the the organization will continue to thrive right and so in in that first part you know from bootstrapping to entrepreneur or i'm sorry from bootstrapping uh, entrepreneur to leader that is a difficult transition for many entrepreneurs because so much of what made you successful as an entrepreneur gets in your way as a leader mm. but then also that journey from the leader of the organization through to irrelevance, that one is, uh, that transition I think is even more arduous uh, because you go from being the leader to being irrelevant where your phone doesn't ring anymore and nobody wants your opinions <laughs> <laughs> and so on. So that's, that's the, that's the concept. And really, I think the, what I'm trying to get through to the world is that this uh, mentality in entrepreneurship of build it, scale it, and liquidate it to me that is a it's very much a a, a limiting possibility hmm. and and i always ask people when we're when we're when we're having this conversation build it scale it liquidate it for what 
And and to answer that question, for what is it simply to make yourself rich? Is that is that is that the end goal of, of what we're trying to do here? And I think there are a lot more powerful outcomes than simply making the entrepreneur rich. Mm, I love that. I want to get into that a little bit too and pick your brain. Can you talk a little bit? You said something very interesting there. It's like what made you succeed as an entrepreneur oftentimes gets in your way as the leader. Can you give us a little bit more insight into things you see that like are those in, in practice? Yeah, I think that, you know, when you're that bootstrapping entrepreneur, when you're in the startup phase, you are involved in every detail. You weigh in on everything that's going on. You 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 micromanage and you really don't have what I would in in most cases you don't have strong leaders with you. And so for you it's uh uh critical in that phase that you're 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 deeply involved. And but as you grow as a leader, you have to grow other leaders. And the only way you grow other leaders is to have them take responsibility and then let them run their worlds. And you can't engage everything and you have to trust them that they're going to make good decisions and that they're going to, uh, you know, propel the business forward, even if you're not at the table or even if you're not weighing in. Okay. So how, what type of timeline, this has always been a question for me, yeah, yeah, sure. right? What type of timeline do you give a leader? Um, that's to, that's to the million this, dollar yeah, question. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, so, you know, I, I've been at it 27 years uh, and, and, and this kind of tips into another thing that I, that I believe is that, that most entrepreneurs and leaders have too limited, too short of a time perspective, time scope. Hmm. And, and so my timeline was you know, somewhere in the area of, of four to five years of getting out of, you know, the, the, the startup. Uh, and then I went on a journey of probably another 10 years of developing into what I would consider a, a good, strong leader of my organization. And then it took me another 10 years to get to where I am now, which is at that stage of, yeah, I, we're 90, 95% into irrelevance. Uh, and wow. so, uh, that, that is, you know, we have a, we have a very strong president. Uh, we have a very strong leadership team at the organization, but you know, I just want to acknowledge, I just said 25 years <laughs> and you know, I'm a little, I'm not, you know, I'm not the sharpest guy, uh, you know, uh, going, but it, you know, it's, it is a long, long journey. Yeah. It makes and, sense. Uh, but when you lead, cause you're in irrelevance right now. Right. And I'm really curious on this. It's like your president that runs the organization, like, are you managing them purely metric based at this point? Like, is it like, how do you give autonomy? Like, here's my hard part, right? And I think most people's hard part is I want to let go. I don't want to micromanage, but I have to have accountability, which is driven by metrics and, and those type of things, tangible things we can measure. If a leader doesn't achieve those metrics, what is the advice you would give to somebody on how they make the decision because as an employee you always have that three strike type rule and you put them on a performance improvement plan and you want to take that essence and philosophy to your higher level leaders but let's be real they're high level leaders it's not about three strikes in a performance improvement plan it's you're a leader you got to achieve the mission what advice do you give to your people like this is how much time you give a director to make mistakes and learn on their own before you step in and you go, okay, new director, or I'm going to micro, I hate to say micromanagement, I'm going to get in the details yeah, again and help yeah. you. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a, 
<laughs> these are, I mean, that, that's the million dollar question too. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, if anybody's keeping score, I'm up to two million dollars. Yeah, now. two. You're yeah. up to two million bucks already in this conversation. Josh has zero, only because I'm, I'm, I'm in debt. Yeah, I'm hogging the convo. But, I love it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm very, yeah, I'm very curious. You can tell this is on my brain, like because this is my struggle. Um, we're at about, like I told you, about 300 employees, and you know we have a leadership team. We probably between directors and VPs, what it's like 14 people probably yeah, across the organization. And it's like how much time do you give them to to fail? Of uh, because you don't want to micromanage. Well. I guess in some ways it's hard for me to answer that question because we haven't been failing in any way. And so I need to join you know, your that, team. <laughs> and, and, and so I don't really know. I, I think what we did is we spent the better part of, of four years uh, working on our purpose, our vision yeah. and really solidifying that. And it became very, very meaningful for us. And we had set these metrics in December, it was December 27th of 2018 that set up, set us up for if we accomplished these two metrics uh, and therefore completed our vision by 2028, that that would, that that would determine, not determine, prove out that we were living our purpose. Hmm. And so we started that quest in 2018. We realized the first thing we had to do was build a professional management team and bring in what I would call world-class leaders. And, and, and then from that point forward, one of the metrics, so there was two metrics involved. There was one, which was nine out of 10 people in our organization that have been with us a year or longer would rate us a nine or a 10 would rate us uh, uh, a nine or a 10 on whether we are supporting them and building a life that they love. Mm. And then the, 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 we call that our purpose metric. Our performance metric is we'll be at a billion dollars at retail by 2028. Mm. And so, and, and we're tracking and, wow. and, and so like for, for me, I don't know, like if we really started to underperform on those metrics, how long would we give, um, I would, we would get, I mean, I would be generous in my, in my, um, allocation there of, of time. I would be generous, I think. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, when you're looking at some, some metric and it's underperforming, you really have to dive into why, and then, right. and then go from there. Uh, it's with, very nuanced. Uh, I find too. It's very, well, nuanced. how do you resist the temptation to get in there and do it kind of how you want to, like how, if you're seeing something you don't, you don't like. Well, the first thing that, that I advocate is transitioning your thinking that you know how to do it better because I would argue you don't. Mm. And so there is, when we bring in, like we just uh, brought in a woman uh, as our CMO, uh, she handled marketing for Starbucks Asia for wow. 10 years. Uh, Asia was Starbucks highest performing market in the world uh, during that time. Um, we just, we brought in a, a gentleman as our chief operating officer that has a similar resume. And for me to think that I'm going to step in and that I am going to know the answer better than the, the woman, Michelle, that we hired as our CMO or, or Cordell, who we hired as our chief operating officer or, or John Gilkey, our president, I'm, I'm, that's the, that's arrogant thinking. Mm. I, I mean, I am not a CMO. I am not a chief operating officer. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur that 
worked hard and made some good decisions and got pretty damn lucky uh, Mm -hmm. along the way. And so I think that for me to think that I can step back in and I can do it better than they can, I I think that's flawed thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because um, it's one of those things where you truly have to let go and give autonomy but you have to hold high, high standards. And one of the things that stands out to me in what you said is you had those two metrics and that was your kind of North Star or is your North Star your guiding light. But there's probably thousands of other variables, right, that affect those metrics, but you're not micromanaging those thousand other variables. The reason why I point that out is because in my journey so far, what I've realized is it's, it's I am too involved in the thousand other variables, where I need to have the North Star. And it seems like what you guys did well is you had your North Stars really defined. Like, hey, every other thing I can look at and I can say, you're probably not doing this well, you could do this well. But the one thing we're all going to agree on is the North Star. Like, And that's when I will step in. And it's just hearing you say that aligns with where my thinking is at today of the mistakes I've made of going, wow, it's not that... It is that I was micromanaging because I was managing too many variables and we weren't all aligned to just the North Star metric that everybody agreed upon. Each leader in the organization has to manage to their variables. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think the other piece of this too that's important is that we are, the, the management team was first and then the next thing is the formation of a legitimate board that the management team answers to that my partner and I are on, but we have other key and other strong people on that board. And then that board will determine whether or not the management team is working or not working. Gotcha. And, and so that is, and that's the, that's the final step for us. Uh, and we're, we're in the midst of that right now uh, of putting that board together. And it, you know, it is, uh, to me, it's, it's in so many ways comforting because you know, when, when you, when you have this feeling that you have to make the decisions and you have to be the one that controls it, that, that is a lot of responsibility. And so, uh, deferring that responsibility or I'm not sure the word allocating that responsibility to the board, all of a sudden you're a contributing factor, a contributing component to the board, but you're not necessarily the be all end all, especially if you can get high caliber people on the board. And so that is, uh, you know, we expect to have the board assembled by, uh, and functioning by the end of 2024. And, and so at that point, I mean, I truly can get run over and, (laughs) and, and my, you know, I, I own 50% of the company with my business partner. We're co-CEOs. So I guess we both have to get run over by a bus, but (laughs) uh, you know, um, but, but it's, that's the next step for us. So that makes so much sense. Can Mm -hmm. I ask you before we move on to another topic is how do you recruit a world-class like person, like the CMO of Starbucks Asia? Like how, how do you do that? How do you attract a talent level like that? into your organization? Well, whenever I hear people, and this goes right into the content of my book, but whenever I hear leaders talking about it's difficult to attract talent, my immediate thought, and sometimes my response, not all the time, but sometimes my response is, you don't have a culture that people want to be a part of. Mm. If, if you have a hard time attracting talent, it's, it's not an organization uh, that's attracting 
people and attracting leaders. And, and we've never struggled to hire in, inside of our company. And so, you know, to me, it is, it is the culture, the environment that you're creating that allows you, uh, it makes you powerful where people want to come work with you. And so this is a great story. It's a great story. So, so Cordell, Cordell Riley, we had him as our keynote speaker at our annual conference. Okay. And so we hired him. He came in, he's a high dollar guy to speak and, and he comes in and he gives a, just a bang up presentation. Well, I'm in part of my work with my book series is to create a keynote address that I can go out into the world and have this conversation in the world. Uh, and so I called Cordell because I wanted to pick his brain about how to become a keynote speaker. Well, you know, we're in the conversation and he says, you know, I, I've been thinking about that. I want to get back into uh, management and um, I, I want to do it in a place that I feel great about. And, and that's an organization that I align with. And he said, would, I don't know if you guys are looking, but you know, I would love to come in, in, in this capacity. And so by being our keynote speaker and getting to know all of our people and getting to know us and getting to know about the organization, he was attracted That's impressive. to us and he wanted to come work with us. And, and um, well, I, I could go on on that, but, but you got to build the culture that when, that, that when you're looking for people, people want to be involved. Yeah, that's, that's and, and, super and that's impressive. the premise of my book is building that culture. Want more leads in your business? Referrals are the way to go. Referrals are more likely to convert and even have an increased lifetime value over any other type of lead. So what's the secret to getting more referrals? Pretty simple. Offer great service and send something consistently to your database that keeps you top of mind. The first is up to you, but a personally branded magazine from Reminder Media can take care of the second. We even found in an independent survey that 84% of the magazine recipients said they're more likely to give a referral because of the magazine. If you're ready to increase your referral business, visit remindermedia.com slash stay paid magazine. That's remindermedia.com slash stay paid magazine. Take action on this today. So talk to me, like what does culture mean in your mind? Like, cause I think a lot of people have different interpretations of like company culture. What does it mean to you? It's how people feel when they show up to work. And when you think about like how people feel when they show up to work, right? And I've tried to think about this. Now we're virtual, like our story, I feel, I feel like I'm getting free coaching here. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> our story is we, we were 200 something employees right before the pandemic, had to go virtual like everybody. We never came back because we found that the people really thrived and enjoyed virtual and it was better economically for the company, a bunch of other reasons. And, well, and so, you can hire people from all over the world. Bingo. The yeah. We actually now are in 26 states and in three countries. Ah, um, good for you guys. Yeah, uh, that's great. So, which is amazing, right? Our talent. That's, pools a, that's and, a big company you guys are running. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a pretty, <laughs> that's why, you know, um, I need your mentorship. I'm like, <laughs> please, please help me here. Uh, but is, so how do, how do you create culture? It's the way people feel. Well, feelings are subjective. Right. And so how do you create culture? Because if I'm if I'm tied to the whim of how people feel every single day, I can never I'm going to go in a circle. Right. Because depending on what's happening in their life, other variables. So like, can you give me some guidance on like what you've done, whether it's through core values or however you've done it to create your, your culture? Well, um, 
I'm going to try to summarize my 310 page book <laughs> in a sentence here. Uh, but, but really what it, what it comes down to is, is the environment an environment where people feel supported, nurtured and loved. And I use the word love in my book and it is, it is something that I believe great management teams, great leaders have always created. We've just never called it that. Hmm. And so, you know, I, I, I go back to, you know, the teachers that inspired you or the manager that inspired you in your life. In my opinion, that was a loving environment. They wanted to support you. They wanted to support you in building a life that you love. And, and to me, that's, that's the essence of what we need to create in our organizations. I, I read a metric or a, a stat the other day that 75% of employees would leave their current position if they found a new one where the work was more meaningful to them. Hmm. And so, you know, that is what we're trying to create is a meaningful place where people show up and, and work can be a, what I, I call it a Petri dish, mm-hmm. a Petri dish of self-improvement for the individual employee. And if we can create that where they're growing and they're thriving and they feel great about showing up to work because of that, and they're supported by their teammates and they're supported by, uh, you know, their leaders, that's a place that people want to be a part of. Yeah. It's so true. Well, talk about the trust piece because I know you talk about trust being the baseline for those healthy relationships. How do you how do you build that trust um, consciously? I guess. Well, that's the backbone. That I mean, the the backbone of it all is building the relationships between you as the leader and the individual team members, but also building relationships amongst the team, between the people on the team. But the root of building a relationship is trust. Mm. And it's funny, just last night, my, my, my wife and I were playing these card games, you know, and, and so you, you pull up a card and it, and it, one of the questions had to do with trust or something. <laughs> we were talking, we've been married 10 years in, in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and, and she said, when do you think you really started trusting me? Uh-oh. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Trick question. Yeah. And I said, I said, you know, love, I think, I think it was probably about five years in Hmm. where I really, truly would say, I absolutely trusted you. And I I didn't have, I didn't have question marks. There weren't, you know, and so this trust idea, you don't build trust in six months or a year. Yeah. You build trust over a very long period of time. You also build trust because new people come into the environment and you have built these trusting relationships with everybody else. And so they see and understand that, that that is, that that, that works around here and that you, you can trust, but you know, so why well, I, I could go, I can go down rabbit holes on every one of these questions, but, but trust to me is something that you have to work on and build every day, every meeting, you know, that it's something you always have to be paying attention to. Did I, in some interaction, you know, did I deplete my trust account with that person? Mm-hmm. And if so, if you even have that notion, you got to reach out to them individually, you got to talk about it, you got to bring it up and, and, and air it out. And so, how do you create that? I think it starts first with integrity. People have to know 
that what you say is what you're going to do. You're going to live up to your commitments as the leader. And, and, I, and I talk all the time about how the leader has to first, first build trust. And it's on the leader to do that. The employee is skeptical from day one, just because typically, historically, you don't have these kinds of relationships. So it's on the leader to start that and start mm-hmm. to build the trust. And then eventually you will earn the right to lead and you will earn the individual's respect. Yeah, it's great. What do you feel like? I know, um, what was the book? Uh, I think it's Five Dysfunction of a Team. They talk about healthy conflict when it comes to trust. Like, have you found in your career, like, whether it's we term it radical candor um, yeah, or healthy, con- right? healthy conflict, like, have you found that to be true in your business too, that you have to go and have some form of conflict, radical candor to have absolute trust? Yeah, if and when it's authentic. And so, you know, I, I write in my book, uh, you know, the, the, the culture, I call it the culture of amazing. And it is, it is such a, a flawed construct that, you know, the culture of amazing is, is that anytime anyone does anything, it's amazing. They did a great job and we're all supportive. And, and, you know, I think that's, I just think that's bunk it, because if you give seven presentations or in front of a group and every single time somebody comes up to you and says, boy, you hit it out of the park and that was amazing, you know, as, yeah, as the, yeah. yeah, you know, like you might've hit it out of the park once, maybe twice, but four or five times, six times, you probably had, you know, <laughs> you, you probably had some things that someone could critique. And so, you know, the, the issue there is, is, is authenticity around the engagement and not, I shouldn't say ever, but, but rarely do you let something go that you need to critique. Because the thing is, is when you critique, it gives you the permission and the power to support and be positive at the same. Does that make sense? Like, so, so, you know, you, if, when I weigh in on somebody and I say, Hey, that was a really, really nice presentation. They know I friggin' mean it because Mm -hmm. the last five, I haven't said that. And I've said, Hey, we should work on this or maybe this, you know? And so, so that authenticity is, is, is critical. That's so good. Yeah. 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 It's like, you can't have true um, positivity without negative. Like I absolutely, you you truly can. Yeah. That is, that's really good. And so the conflict, you know, it's, it gets to a point where you have built such trust with people that it's, that it's not conflict that when you bring something to somebody, they know and trust that you're bringing it to them with the right intention and that you're really truly trying to help them get better and improve and they appreciate it. And that is, that is such a different mindset. Yeah. Better to address it than be silent and only speak up, you know, in the good, in the good times. What led you to um, become an author? I mean, co co CEO <laughs> of, of a huge coffee brand, one of the fastest growing ever. Uh, what kind of led you down this journey of wanting to write books and tell your story? Well, I, I got to go all the way back. I, I probably, I was, when I got involved in the coffee business, I was preparing to go back to graduate school and I was going to see that through. I was, I was most likely in my mind anyway, at that point, I was going to end up with a PhD and I just wanted to teach and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to study and I wanted to read and I wanted to research. And, and so that was what I was going to do with my life. Uh, and then this coffee business thing 
happened. Okay. <laughs> and 25 years later, you know, and so, you know, so one, I, I just, I've always wanted, always to, wanted to, yeah, yeah. to teach and to read and to write. But then the other piece of it is, is we're a franchise company. And so we attract uh, prospective franchisees mm-hmm. and a big part of our success is attracting franchise owners who align with our values. Mm. And so the books allow a prospective franchisee to dive into the mindset of me and my, my partner and our organization. And that allows them to, to, to self-select in or self-select out. And so the idea is, is that if you read my book and you disagree with it, I mean, it would be irrational to become <laughs> a franchise owner within our system. But if you really, really align with it, green light, amazing, you know, let's work together. How and hard has so, it been? To because Luke and I have talked about you know we've kind of toyed with the idea of wanting to write a book yeah yeah how how much time has it you know taken how hard has it been oh uh, it's I mean it's grueling it's grueling <laughs> you no know, it's grueling yeah it's grueling I mean I you know I um I couldn't even quantify the amount of time I, I would have no idea because I mean it takes years wow you know and so um, I'm you know it's each book has been about. Well, the first book was like a seven-year journey, but that that's just because I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't understand the project I was working on. And 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 so, you know, I don't think that's a fair assessment, but book two took me three years. And and so, you know, I, the, the amount of time is, uh, you really have to enjoy yeah. the process. I, I love writing. I love sitting. I love the creative process. I love editing. I love all of it. And so, you know, you really have to enjoy it uh, to get through it. But I, I also think that, that understanding why you're writing a book and then truly what the message you want to take to the world is, is critical. And it's like, it's like in any business, you you know, you, you have to know what the point Mm. is (laughs) in order to, to, to throw yourself at it. And so, you know, I, I would say getting really clear around, around what it is you're trying to accomplish with the book and, and really the message, what I call the conversation you want to have in the world. What is that? Yeah. That's well, great. I mean, it's a brilliant idea for for attracting, you know, like you said, franchisees and, and things it makes like so that, much and sense. aligns with your passion. So I got to ask you as an author, what's one of the what's what's the book that's had the biggest impact on your life? Well, you I, I was Kim Scott and Radical Candor. OK, that's a heck of a book. That's yeah. a great um, book. Yeah, I, I would say um, probably from an entrepreneurial perspective, uh, it would be the E-Myth. Mm. Uh, Michael Gerber. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows that one, but that is just that is just a true classic. Mm. Um, and you know, I would get into. I wrote. I read um, the Road Less Traveled when I was like uh, fifteen years old, sixteen years old, and I had a dear friend of mine's dad uh, who was an alcoholic and uh, was a recovering alcoholic and and had been in recovery for a long time and just real wise character and and he kind of made me read that book. And that, that really unlocked uh, a notion for me, uh, which is that you, you don't have to do it like everybody else. Mm. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'm real proud of my journey in, in terms of, you know, not doing it necessarily, you know, the way other people have done it. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm proud of that. So that was a, that was a really instrumental read, uh, for me, uh, back in the day. Um, you know, I, let's see, there's, 
there's just so many, but I, I think those three, I mean, I, I radical candor, I, that just popped in my mind because you had mentioned it earlier. I mean, that is, that's, that is one heck of a book. It really is great. And well, when does grow release and, and you have a cool story about the launch, the launch of, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about it. So, uh, it releases June 6th, uh, and, um, it is, uh, we're going to release it from the floor of the New York stock exchange that morning at 10 a.m. And, you know, I'm, I'm real excited about that. I'm, I'm taking my parents, uh, and my wife, uh, and we're going to, we're going to go celebrate that. And that is awesome. um, there's, yeah. And, and so, uh, and then, you know, we've got it, I call it this a release summer, you know, so it, it launches June 6th, but I, I don't even know how many events I have in my calendar between now and September, you know, it's a bunch and, and, uh, it's going to be fun to be out in the world. And, and, and frankly, having this conversation with people like you is super important to me. And, and I just want to continue this, this dialogue about something that I am just super passionate about, which is, why can't we create environments and cultures where people go home from work more inspired mm. than when they showed up? That's great. And, and to me, that's, that's the cultural piece. That's leadership. And, uh, and at the end of the day, if we can do that, we're going to see, I, I, I had a, I was uh, on a podcast a few weeks ago and, you know, I thought the interview was going, going really well. And I, and we were, I thought we were in a pretty good place. Uh, and, and the host said to me, so Mike, you really think that you can build a billion dollar company and do all this loving and nurturing <laughs> stuff, right? And so I'm like, I'm like, oh, wow, I guess, I guess I didn't have the impact I thought I was having in this conversation. And I said, but, but just, to, just a minute, stop for a second. I want to reorient your thinking. Mm. I am going to build a billion dollar company, a billion dollar brand because of the loving and supportive and nurturing environment that I'm creating. Wow. Yeah, that's great. And that's a, that's a flip in mentality because you uh, build an environment like that. I believe the traditional metrics, the traditional financial metrics on a company, you will far exceed any metric that you could ever imagine. And we're living proof of that right now. I mean, it is what, what our company is doing at 27 years old is, is just, it's incredible. It really is. No, yeah. it's a super inspirational story and message and you can feel the authenticity for uh, sure coming from you. So thank you again for coming back on the podcast and speaking with us about your new book. Uh, before we close out, let people know how they can connect with you or where they can buy the book, whatever you want to promote there. Well, the book Grow uh, will be you know everywhere you can buy books, uh, and then I'm I'm launching a, a personal website uh, that will go live June first. It's michaeljmcfall.com, and uh, and so that's you know there'll be plenty of opportunities there to connect, and then of course on the social medias that's that's the other way, right? LinkedIn, LinkedIn's probably the best one for me. That's the one I I, I, I engage more than than the others. Cool, and go buy some Big B coffee. Yes, please. Mike, Mike, you got to come on. to Pennsylvania. Get to Philly. We need you in Philly. Yeah, you know, I'd right love to. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to get on TikTok, man. Mike, TikTok? Mike on TikTok. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I am on TikTok. I am not personally on TikTok, but I have content on okay, TikTok. Okay, good. There you go. <laughs> 
All right. Thanks again for being here. Thank you all so much for listening. You can dive deeper to this episode, get the show notes and the links that Mike mentioned over at staypaidpodcast.com as well. And if you enjoy this episode and want to show your support, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star review, leave a comment, and we'll read it here on the show. And the best way to show your support is to simply share this episode with a friend. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com, or you can find us on social media. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, I'm Luke Acree. Mike, a pleasure as always. This was even better than the first one, and the first one was outstanding. Really appreciate all the knowledge you dropped. My action item for everybody on this is, you know, I really thought it was powerful when Mike talked about his purpose metric. And, you know, he had those two different metrics. He wants to be a billion dollar organization and stuff, which is kind of like the profit type metric, you know, and that measurable, but he had a purpose metric. And I think to myself, man, what a great action item for everybody listening to this. Do you know your purpose metric? You know, by 2028, what is the purpose that you're trying to fulfill and what's your measurement of that purpose metric? And I think that's a really powerful thing because if you think of where culture flows from, it flows from your purpose. And so I would challenge all of you, the difference between mediocre producers and top producers. Stop producers take action. Take action on that today. 